You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, I tell you, says Jesus, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we think, couldn't he have picked someone else's righteousness that we had to exceed? What about the righteousness of the tax collectors, the righteousness of the sinners, the righteousness of the politicians? (laughs) Really, anyone's righteousness, except for the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, these guys were the good guys. They were the ones who had dedicated their lives to keeping God's law. They were the ones that made up extra commandments. Six hundred and something of them, because ten wasn't enough for them. (laughs) When you were walking around Jerusalem, you would be able to tell who the Pharisees and the scribes were, because their lives were marked distinctly with an external righteousness, a keeping of God's law. But you see, I think that's part of the problem, and part of the thing that Jesus is getting at is that the Pharisees understood the commandments to be keepable. They looked at the commandments and saw them kind of simply on the external, and, and they had the thought, I've done that. I've kept that commandment. I've honored God in that way. And I suppose in some ways they had. They had held back their hands from taking someone's life. They had kept their bodies pure and hadn't gone and committed adultery. They hadn't reached out their hand and stolen that which belonged to their neighbor. They had an external righteousness and a, mark, and a life that was marked with this external righteousness. But then they had the result of it, the most dangerous thing, pride. The thought that they had done well and that God should be pleased with them. But Jesus, standing there on the hill uh, above the Sea of Galilee, preaching to the people, says that this kind of righteousness, this external keeping of the law, this outward life of good works, this is not enough. Now imagine that you're there. Imagine the surprise of the people listening to Jesus, who would have seen the Pharisees as the most righteous of all, and they say, more righteous than a Pharisee? Who could possibly do that? Jesus presses it a little bit more. He unfolds the severity of the law. Jesus unmasks Moses to show what a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees looks like. And he starts with the fifth commandment. That's what we had in our text. He goes on to the sixth commandment. That's your homework this week to keep reading after the gospel's done. I suppose Jesus starts with the fifth commandment because this, out of all the commandments, seems to us to be the most keepable commandment, the most kept commandment. Most of us could say, at least I've never killed anybody, right? And Jesus says, not so fast. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, Jesus says, there is more to Moses, more to the law than you think. It is not enough to hold back your hand from taking someone's life. Jesus teaches that the fifth commandment also has instructions for our lips, for what we say, and for our minds, what we think, and even for our hearts, what we feel. So that if I call my neighbor a fool, I've broken the fifth commandment. If I've insulted my neighbor, I've broken the fifth commandment. And if I've been angry with anyone, I've broken the fifth commandment. Hmm. Now, I think this last part, especially anger, deserves our special consideration because the Scriptures do teach us that there is a godly use of anger. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but do not sin, which proves to us that It's at least possible to be angry without sinning. And I suppose in this, Jesus is our example. He cleanses the temple. He preaches against the Pharisees. He is angry, it seems, but we know that he never sinned. And I think to understand this, it's, it's important to make this distinction between the anger of office and the anger of person. Anger of office has to do with vocation. It has to do with our station in life and our calling. And I think the best example is parents. But think of judges, for example. To be a judge is to have an office of anger. The judge stands there and sentences someone, you know, go to prison for five years or whatever. That's an act of anger. Or policemen or soldiers often have an office of anger. They're bringing violence to someone in order to help other people. Now, when these... When these uh, uh, when these men or, or, or pe- police or soldiers or judges, w- when they're executing their office of anger, it doesn't mean that they're filled with rage, but simply that they're meeting out anger according to their office. Pastors have an office of anger when they hear false teachers or things that threaten the faith of the Lord's people, and they're called to stand up and to rebuke these things. Parents probably, again, are the you know, most of all have an office of anger. When children break the fourth commandment or any of the commandments, parents dish out all sorts of punishments, and they're supposed to. That's what their vocation is. But all of this is an anger of office, which is good and godly. But it's not an anger of person. It's the anger according to our person that Jesus is talking about. And it's mostly the result of of when people sin against us. Someone speaks poorly of us. Someone insults us. Someone sins against us in one way or another, and I'm angry. And the result of this is that my heart is hardened against them. And I think, and we've talked about this before, but it is so common. You, we know this from our own experience. We don't even have to think uh, that far back or that far away to think of the last time that this happened to us, that when we're angry with someone, we think, now I no longer have to love that person. This has happened to all of us. 
Someone does something wrong to us and we're offended. And now, in our own mind and in our heart and in our conscience, it's almost as if Jesus never said, love your neighbor. At least not for that person. They're exempt from the command. But to make sure we don't miss this, Jesus teaches explicitly, just a few verses later, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus has not authorized you to be angry with the people that sin against you. But instead, He has commanded you directly and explicitly to love them, to bless them, to pray for them, and to serve them. If we are angry with our neighbor who sins against us, we have murdered them according to the fifth commandment. And this word from Jesus condemns us. All of us, I'm sure, can think of people that we are angry with. People who we think we are free not to love. And this word of Jesus rings in our ears and hearts and conscience and calls us to repent. When Jesus talks about a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, this is what He is talking about. It's not an external keeping of the law, something we can do which results in pride and confidence, but rather a perfect keeping of the law with all of our deeds, all of our words, all of our thoughts, all of the things, doing all the things that we should and not doing any of the things that we shouldn't. This teaching that Moses requires of us everything, a heart completely free from anger and lust and greed and rebellion and bitterness and idolatry, and that's full of nothing but love for God and the neighbor. This is the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. A righteousness which does not end in pride, but the preaching of which righteousness ends for us in despair. So that we, like the people who listen to Jesus, say, who can do this? Not me. Not you. We cannot attain to this righteousness. We cannot achieve it. And the more we try, which we should the more we know we fail. The more we feel in our own hearts and see in our own lives our own great sinfulness and the wrath of God that we deserve. We cannot achieve this righteousness that, it, that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. So that if we would not die in despair we have to go looking for this righteousness in another place. Outside of ourselves. 
You see, we're, we always hear, when we hear the word righteousness, I think, we always think good works, obedience to the law. That's the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's what Luther one time called active righteousness, our own doing. But there is another type of righteousness. There is another option. Luther called this passive righteousness. It is the righteousness that comes to us as a gift. It's Jesus' perfect keeping of the law, His perfect obedience to Moses, which is given to us as a gift. There is, dear saints, only one person in the history of the entire world who could stand before the judgment of the law and not be condemned by it. Jesus. But He who kept the law perfectly, who filled up the law and completely fulfilled it, He Himself bore the curse and condemnation of the law, suffered for sins that He did not commit, so that He could give to you His righteousness and the reward that it has earned. St. Paul preaches like this. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, a verse that we should write in gold. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Did you get that? Jesus became sin, your sin, your anger, your lust, your rebellion, your bitterness, your idolatry. He suffered for your anger, for your insults, for your uh, breaking of all of the commandments. He took all of that upon Himself so that He could give to you His keeping of the law. His perfect obedience to God and to His parents. His perfect love for the neighbor. His perfect generosity and chastity and truth speaking. So that in Christ, listen, in Christ you have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You have the righteousness of Jesus the righteousness of God, the perfection that defined God's only Son is imputed to you. Do you see that the forgiveness of sins is more than simply a taking away and erasing all of the things that, want, that we have done wrong? It is also an imputing and adding to your account and to your name the perfect obedience of Christ. So that this command of Jesus is fulfilled today in your hearing. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will by no means enter into the kingdom of heaven. But your righteousness exceeds, dear saints. It overflows. It abounds. Because Jesus has died for you. He's forgiven you. And He's given to you His perfection. Now this is our hope. And this is our life. And this is our confidence in life and in death. Amen. And the peace of God, 
which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.